For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller for a brand new season. Hello, Josh. Hello, Dan. And welcome back. I missed you. Missed you too, buddy. How's your summer? Summer was summer was really good. I do love Montreal in the summer, notwithstanding it got off to a, a slow start from a weather standpoint. Um, but I got to tell you, from a business standpoint, it was hectic. Good mm-hmm. hectic. Like, it was a good busy. Not a, not a bad busy, not a spinning your wheels. It was a good busy. A uh, lot of activity out there. Yeah. So, uh, so far, it's okay. No recession yet. Numbers are still good. Jobs are on the rise. Economy's going all right. So, on the ground, you're seeing positive news from entrepreneurs? On, on the ground, I'm seeing positive news. I, I actually, you know, if anything, there's some growth issues and, and hurdles that people have to get over. The talent war mm. as, is as bad as I've ever heard it or seen it. Uh, as we say, the number of you know jobs and the unemployment rate uh, definitely continuing to to drop. That that is just creating the demand for for good labor. It's unreal, and people are kind of jumping ship and they're starting to pay kind of crazier amounts. Partly because they have no choice, because if they want to keep their good people, they have to pay them that much more, or they have to get that much more creative. And I know we're going to talk about that and you know human resource issues uh, in later programs down the road is. You know, getting creative and how to how to keep how to create that environment, just so it's not all about the dollars, but hopefully there is that balance that people will will accept uh, as during this crazy talent war. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, of that talent shortage still affecting Montreal. I see it in, in the marketing and communications business. I mean, it's really hard to find talent these days. Uh, it's uh, it's tough out there. But um, unless you want to pay boatloads of money, exactly. Uh, but then you know, then it doesn't really work in your in the business model and charging your customers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But something is going to give down the road. Uh, thankfully, in Montreal, we have a decent standard of living, uh, so you can earn a little less and still, you know, still still afford to you know rent a place or buy a home. Uh, although that's becoming even tougher. There's it, it. Just people just have to get that much more creative. Tonight on the program, uh, I love doing food, so we're going to talk to Ted and Perry of Petros Taverna. That's Three right. Uh, this is a, a Greek restaurant. Greek restaurant, three locations. So they have one in Griffintown, one in Westmount on Sherbrooke, and the other uh, on, Laurier. on Laurier. Yeah, correct. Uh, they've been and uh, and Ted's been in the business for uh, for nearly forty years. He's a restaurant veteran, owned many restaurants in Montreal and Laval. And Perry is the new generation coming in at Petros. That's right. Uh, Petros is in its in its current incarnation is only about five years old, but so many stories to tell. And uh, and when you have the veteran and the rookie and passing the torch, uh, there's there's never a shortage of of good stories. So Ted and Perry of Petros on the way, and later in the program, stay tuned for Natalie Riviere. Uh, she is our marketing specialist at Cometa and FL, and she'll be talking about online reputation management. So that's later in the program. Yeah, it's uh, and you know when we talk about restaurants or any business, customer commentary online you got to manage them and as that affects your reputation or as it can even help you gain business all right let's get to some news and notes and uh this story i think is perennial it's from entrepreneur.com competitive rivals can make you more successful isn't that always true i mean whenever you don't have any competition you're just never quite as on your toes as you should be no absolutely and it and although it's always great to be first to market if there's no competition you can kind of almost name your price and and really dictate the way to go but having competitors out there does keep you a little bit more in tune with your business. That being said, 
you got to keep level headed. You can't, you know, win at all costs. That's that's just, you know, there's there's a few things that uh, that I was reading in this article uh, from entrepreneur.com and they are it it really does make sense, you know, remain committed to your principles. You know, again, it's the don't uh, it's it's the don't win at all costs. Don't give up what you truly believe in just so you can beat out your competition. The goal, first of all, I always think there's plenty of business for everybody out there. If you're doing it right and you're and you're you're justified and you're being a good corporate citizen, there's definitely room out there. And it, certainly when we're talking about attracting talent or retaining talent, you des- definitely want to keep your principles and and let those shine cuz that too will help uh, will help keep your talent or at least minimize the uh, the bleeding if they ever decide to leave. I would say, you know, there's other thing in there it says um take the time to stop and think. Now this applies everywhere, but again, when you're talking about your your competitors and rivals, think about what they're doing. Is that is is if you need to do something drastic or radical to beat them, does it really make sense for your business? Is it going to cost you or is it really going to help you? So and, and you know when you Dan, I'm sure you you see your 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 competitors out there, and it's like, oh, I can't believe they had a great idea. I got to out idea them, and I got to outspend them just to get more people in the door, more people to see me. Yeah, that can be all great, but stop and think and make sure that whatever you're going to do is not going to have an adverse effect on your business thereafter. Might be a great first out of the gate, but if it makes you you bleed afterwards and and profusely then maybe not so good that's a big one in communications i find because there's a tendency for companies to go jump up in the air and do crazy things to get attention but is it really necessary you know is it really the best thing for your business but it's 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 a tough world out there and how long will it last Mm -hmm. applies to all businesses too here's another one that i think was interesting and i want your thoughts on this because you guys just reorganized your office for a more open concept so this is from inc.com how to find the perfect office according to a founder who's moved his office five times um, this is a company called Squarefoot. Jonathan Wasserstrom offers his advice on uh, on the perfect new office. But what have you guys found about the, the more open concepts? Well, I think, first of all, it, it works for us. But I think it's more the forethought. It's more the if you need to move, if you're planning to move, it, it's not about where you are. It is partially about where you are today and your needs of today. But it's really about where your needs are tomorrow. You know, it's it it's a lot of time and energy and effort and dollars to move. So if you want to minimize those moves as much as possible, yes, you, I mean, you, you want to do it for the right reason. You can't always control your, your growth or your downsizing. So that might have an effect. But really, at the end of the day, pick an office that you can grow into. And it doesn't necessarily mean size. It could mean technology. It could mean location, depending where you service your customers. It could mean location, depending where you want to attract your talent. So pick an office that, that you can grow into. Open offices for us. Uh, I, I think are working really well. It's very fresh. It's very open. It help, definitely helps communication. But you also need some of those private areas so that people can actually meet. People can actually have, you know, the a private phone call. Uh, you know, we're dealing, in our instance, we're dealing with a lot of sensitive matters with clients and customers, as are most businesses. So you need you need those those designated private areas or private offices so that you can you know, not share with the world uh, everything that's going on. So I think there's there's a lot of a lot of forethought that goes into it. I think the one thing that, that I'll add is we all try to be inclusive. Again, we, when you're trying to keep your talent and trying to keep them, they all want to get involved. They all want to uh, be part of, of every decision. They want to know where you're going. I think that's great. It's good to be, it's good to be transparent, but if you start involving too many people in decisions of where you want to move and, and what it's going to look like, 
you're going to get buried in ideas, and you're ultimately going to disappoint somebody. So maybe you only keep it to the upper management or the owners and say, you know, take take into account as many areas as you can. But if you start soliciting all your employees' ideas of what what they want in the move, it it could uh, could not work out so well in the end. More dogs is what I vote for. Enough. More dogs. Um, it depends on the building, by the way. Not all buildings allow it. True. So sometimes you want to do it, but you're just kind of restricted. I'm working on Bell Media here. Well, we'll convince them eventually. Um, for Entrepreneur.com, they have this interesting story about LinkedIn connections, right? We, we're all connected to hundreds of people, even thousands in some cases, to people on social media. But if you want to pitch them, if you want to start some kind of business relationship with them, how do you do it without seeming spammy or annoying? That's uh, I got to tell you, it's it's tough. And I looked at this article and I was trying to find, you know, ways because I, I, my personal style is really not to be spammy, is not to be uh, too pushy. It's really, it's really soft. But I think LinkedIn is a, is, is great if you can, if you can, you do a little bit of research, find out, you can find out a lot about somebody on LinkedIn. You can find out a little bit what they like, a little bit what they do, a little bit what they know and and talk about because some people post and, and draft and write on there. And you can kind of, Make sure that when you're talking or when you're bringing up a topic, it's something that you can see interest them. So I would say, you know, use use LinkedIn more to personalize uh, anything than anything else. You can use all the different social media platforms to figure somebody out. But there's no question if you once you personalize it and it doesn't sound canned, you have a bit of a better chance. And of course, there's nothing beats knowing knowing somebody it's it's a contact so if you're you know a second or third contact away and you're really close with that first well then maybe that's even the best route to go where are you on accepting random friends uh, connections on linkedin people have heard you on the radio show maybe uh, or, or do you really want to just keep it to your close professional circle i do not accept anybody oh um but i'm not that like i'm i'm not that uh strict but i at least you know, want to take a look at who they're connected to, mm-hmm. and to see if that's if that's somebody. I probably accept more than 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 I normally or I would normally think, but I know I don't automatically accept. I kind of look at them, Me I look neither. at their profile, yeah. I look at who they're connected to, and I make my choice that way. I wait. I, I wait to see if I've ever met them. First of all, if it's a complete stranger, I probably won't accept. But if I've met them casually at a networking thing, then that makes sense too. Except the connection, but it's an ongoing debate because lots of people want just the numbers, right? They want a larger audience. Uh, I will say there's one entrepreneur that I spoke with and uh, from Foul Up Nights, uh, this guy from Genius, Rodrigo, I'll never forget. He says he always accepts everybody because you never know where your next contact or next business is going to come from. Yeah. So just because you accept them online doesn't mean you're friends with them, but you never know where that next piece of business is coming from. All right. The debate continues. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. Up next, we're going to chat with Ted and Perry from Petros Taverna, three locations now in the Montreal area. And they're going to talk about their experience in the restaurant industry and adapting to the delivery craze and lots more. That's all on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And this evening, let's introduce our guests, our first for the season, uh, Ted Dranius and Perry Calavrusis from Petros Taverna. Ted and Perry, welcome to CJD. Hello. Nice being here. And uh, it's, it's, you know, people probably already know this. There's a lot of listeners that know Petros has been around a while. 
But uh, the first question, the easiest question of the night, guys, what is Petros Taverna? Petros Taverna. Is it Taverna, Petros, Petros Taverna? Petros Taverna. It's uh, basically an authentic Greek restaurant. We like to call ourselves an upscale Greek restaurant. I'm not going to say upscale competitors to others, <laughs> but uh, a little bit different. You know, a fancier wine glass, uh, nice dishes, nice ambiance. And you're in several locations? Originally, we were in Griffintown, Notre Dame and Guy, about four and a half years ago. Then we opened, I opened up on um, in Westmount, Sherbrooke and Grosvenor about three years ago. In November, will be three years. And recently, we opened up in May on Laurier, 234 Laurier, near Corner Jean Mance. And you're a bring-your-own-wine restaurant. That's what it is. Why BYOB? Why BYOW? Well, I'll tell you, when I was, um, originally when I spoke to my son in Westmount, I had an idea of making a wine cellar. So my son's got an MBA. He goes out, comes up to me and goes, Dad, you know Westmount has the highest average family income in North America. It's over 500000 bucks per, fam- per capita per family. He goes, and they all have wine cellars. What's that? I said, it's a wine cellar. Big mistake. He says, keep on track with that bring your own wine thing. So I'm lucky enough to have a lot of these big wigs and big names from Westmount come and eat at my restaurant. And they're all happy, so I think I did the right choice. And they all bring their, their own wines. I could have made a lot more money selling them wine, but you know what? They're also repeat customers. They come out on a Monday, on a Thursday, on a Friday, especially in the summertime with the terrace. We have a lot of repeats. Just people walk down the street, especially with Montreal traffic. People want to stay local. I've noticed a lot of that stuff. People don't want to go down to carry at 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock, so they stay local. No, oh, and listen, people might, you know, spend 75, 100 bucks on a bottle of wine, but if they can bring their own at 50, 60 bucks, that's, right. that's even more exceptional than, than so be it. Is it, is it very different? Have you had other restaurants that did have liquor permits? Yeah, like I was a in full, Laval. full license? I was in Laval for 26 years. We had a full bar with poker machines and stuff like that. It's a different animal. I was involved also for a small stint of time with Peter's Cape Cod, a very successful, very busy six month operation. Put the queue to the door in February or January and go down south for two, three months. That was also a lot of liquor sales. So basically, liquor sales generate a lot more money. But I just want to be a little bit different. I want to daddle and play with this. And, you know, there's a lot of story behind the name and all that stuff. So I think I did the right move. So you're hearing from uh, from Ted, but Perry's also in studio. Perry, you're like the next generation of the business, but you guys aren't related. Uh, explain the connection there and how you came into the business. The connection there was through my father. My father used to work with Ted for a long time. And as I grew up, I was in and out of restaurants, from the kitchen to waitering to building them. I learned uh, the whole aspect, and Ted took me under his wing to teach me exactly what goes into the restaurant and how to keep a restaurant profitable and successful. Ted, do you, do you consciously choose or look for the next generation? I mean, you're not an old guy, you're, you're relatively young. I'll tell you young. what, once upon a time, one of my uncles gave me a break, and I was 22. I was a partner in a hot dog joint, and my dad lent me 50 grand, first mortgage on his house. First first thing out of the notary's office is, you lose the money, I lose my house. Talk about a motivational factor. <laughs> so I, Perry... Fear factor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Perry, I'd run to work. I mean, my father would watch me, I would never walk, I'd run to work. And I wasn't privileged to go there either by Uber. I used to take the bus, mm-hmm. bus and metro. So uh, Perry is a special kid. He came to work and he asked me for a job as I was building the restaurant because he lost his job at his construction place. He worked with me for about a month and a half. And as we're into the project, he sees what's coming up. And he asked me, can I buy some points? And, you know, that's a nice mm-hmm. way to dabble with a number. Want to buy some points. 
So I saw the guy's hard work ethic. If his father and I, we always say we're the last of the Mohicans. So I figured if this kid has what his father has, and he's proven he's proven me for the past four months, I'm actually almost never there, to be honest with you. I got a 22-year-old guy running my business. That's what it is. But you definitely, but it's, there's still a, a knowledge. You're still imparting the knowledge that you've gained over the close to 40 years in the restaurant business. Yeah, and you know, he's he's a good listener. You know, he doesn't, doesn't drop the ball so far so good uh, and I'm always on top of him you know even if I'm, I'm at home I call him and I ask the proper questions and then I'm, I'm content so Josh Perry would be one of our youngest entrepreneurs ever on the show in 10 years how do you feel Perry when you're running a restaurant Saturday night everyone's packed is it intimidating do you, do you think about the guy down the street who has 20 years on you maybe in the beginning it was but as you get used to it like anything in life and when you have a good role model it helps you see other people's work ethic, and it, mo- it motivates you to do better. And it's a it's a good feeling. Was there was there any was there like a toughest part to learn or to to kind of adapt to when you were starting in this business? I would have to say no, because of the way he brought me into the business and the way he taught me how to do things. And uh, no, not at all. Mm. Good Obviously, teacher. Good yeah. teacher helps. There's good no teacher. Business it. is hard. Anything in life's hard, but when you're willing to put in the work, uh... you just get to get the strap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys, you, you know, you, again, Ted, you've been in the been in the business a long time. Uh, do you do delivery? I used to do delivery in my restaurant in Laval for 26 years. I had 13 delivery guys. It is the the most difficult thing to put together properly. Is a good delivery business. Weather factor, driver factor. Timing, it's not a good thing, especially with Greek food. Fish won't deliver well, or or meat, as a matter of fact, it'll get cold, and you know you're setting yourself for for bad service. Which so you're you're okay. You guys are okay giving up some of the online sales, you know, with all the the Uber Eats and the you know the skip the dishes and all that. Good conscious decision to not get into that that delivery service. That's right. You do that really to maintain the reputation. Well. It's also very hard because we have customers in Westmount come in. I mean, I've seen takeout bills for 700 bucks. Guy comes in at 6 o'clock. He orders a whole slew of things. And it's a big tab. It's a profitable bill. Problem is, kitchens in the juice were serving 100 people in, inside. And it's very tedious work, you know, to debone a fish or grill a proper meat. So if you have a guy or people waiting for delivery orders, your kitchen's got to be on its own. It's got to be an independent kitchen. Completely on its own. All right, coming up next with Ted and Perry from Petros Taverna, we're going to talk about marketing and other issues uh, on marketing. Uh, Natalie Rivera will be in, our marketing expert. She's going to talk a little bit more uh, about uh, reputation management online, and that is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're chatting uh, the restaurant business with Perry and Ted from Petros Taverna. Bit of a different generation thing happening here. Um, what about in terms of your outlook on the business, guys, uh, Perry and Ted? Do you guys ever, because you, you're so you're from different generations, do you ever have clashing visions? And if so, how do you how do you work it out? Not really. I rely on Perry to do some of the social media stuff since I'm old school, you know. 
just learned how to send emails a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I, I rely on my kids sometimes to help me out from the electronic standpoint of view. But from the uh, daily day, day-to-day operations, we haven't had no clashes yet. And uh, what about you, uh, Perry? Do you think you have to, do, do you try to modernize the business in any way? Mm, yes and no. Uh, nothing has changed over the time from day-to-day operations the same. It's more about the how to go about talking to the younger crowd and how to go about talking to the older crowd. But uh, at the end of it, it's the same thing. There's no, there's no question that it takes. You're dealing with customers day in, day out. Uh, you have to be super sweet. Uh, you have to acknowledge them. You have to maybe bite your tongue sometimes. Uh, you know, are there any customer experiences? that you know you you've either learned along the way or or that you've helped that you feel helps bolster your business when you deal with them in the right way well we had a scenario with a, a while ago with some customers it was our air conditioning system in westman broke down and uh, we had a lot of complaints we couldn't get the proper component to fix the machine over the weekend so it was stifling hot in the restaurant so i took all the people that had complaints i gave it to this girl Actually, we haven't finished calling everybody yet because, you know, we kind of like dropped the ball. But we gave everybody a $50 certificate for inconveniencing them. And people were very thankful. And I think you got Personal phone calls. Personal calls. Oh, yeah. Name and everything. Yeah, I think I learned from old school that when I had a complaint in my Laval store, either it was for a pizza, for a breakfast, I always called back the customer, you know. Do you instill that kind of attitude in in your team that, you know, guys, you know, you you might not like what they're telling you, but... You know, suck you, you got to suck it up, and and the customer is always right. That's right. Is there a line that. to draw? Would you ever draw a line in the sand? In my whole career, I only threw a customer out of my restaurant once. We don't want to. You don't want to hear that. We don't want to. We don't want to hear that. Now you have three locations, and and a lot of people say location, location, location. What, what was the first location? Why was it there? And like. Where do you come up with the other locations? Well, Griffintown was like up and coming. I was supposed to retire after I sold my place in Laval. <clears throat> that didn't happen. No, I, opened, I took over an Italian restaurant for seven years. Um, then I opened Petros right next door. It was a very low rent. So the break-even was met very quickly. And then after that, it was history. We did well because we grew. You were always bringing your own wine from the get-go. From, from the get-go. I didn't want to go into that 3 a.m. bar, mm-hmm. you know. Not at this stage. No. And so how did you find the, the Westmont location? The Westmont location, I used to drive home on Sherbrooke back and forth to my house in NDG, and I was looking for a nice corner. So this breakfast joint that was there for many years always kind of, you know, interested me. And finally, the place was for rent. And then I approached the landlord, super nice guys. You know, we discussed numbers. So you have to tell sometimes people, what it takes to meet the rent they're asking. A lot of landlords want 15, 20 grand. And I'm saying it a month. A month. And there's a lot of guys in the city, and we see empty locals, commercial locals, especially in the artery in Westmount. When you have vacancies like that, it looks the area, it makes the area look dark, gloomy, and doesn't attract other businesses because the landlords are too greedy. You can't pay 20,000 bucks a month rent on Sherbrooke and and Victoria or Sherbrooke and Monklin because people people are out. People are working people. They're out 8, 9, 10 o'clock. They're in bed. It's not downtown. So you so do they do they understand? I mean, was it a long negotiation with the landlord? No, my landlord, a super nice guy, we had a we 
we had a quick discussion over over lunch, and the rent from twelve went down to like seven. Then you got to break year number two, so you got to progressively let your tenant grow, and eventually, you know, you're going to come out as a winner because when you keep getting a new tenant every year, my philosophy or people in the business taught me when a place is closed more than once, it smells bad. Right. Very hard to re-kick it. No, and the the whole goal for any landlord is to make sure you ha- kind of have a full space. You guys are in some very popular areas, uh, Westman on Sherbrooke and the Plateau as well. What about parking? That's one we hear uh, hurts a lot of businesses. Um, how, how have you coped with that challenge in Montreal and construction too? Parking in Griffinton was good because we had a parking lot behind the restaurant, so we didn't have much of an issue. Parking in Westmount kind of like self-sustains itself. People always find parking. A lot of our customers are walk walk down or walk up the street, local. Laurier was a major issue, or still is a major issue, but now we worked out a deal with some school near the area, and we're probably going to be getting some free valet parking for our customers on Laurier. That that definitely helps because, you know, people need to <laughs> drive in the restaurant. My biggest no complaint in, on Laurier is people went around three, four, five times and couldn't find parking. Now, the size of the restaurants, are they pretty consistent in size, all three? Yeah, they're all about 100 seaters. <clears throat> is there is there a minimum or maximum size that you feel would be, is, is what you shoot for? Anything over 100 seats is very hard to service all at once. You know, especially what we, what we sell. It's not a club sandwich or a French for a pizza. So, you know, it gets intense. You got fish on the grill. You have meat. The guy wants his lamb chops rare. Somebody wants his swordfish not too cooked. So, you know, you got to be able to time all that stuff. When you get too big, I give example, a friend of mine is a 200-seat restaurant. And when people come in and ask for 200 zucchini chips, you know, they're they're stuck off the bat. Yeah, no question. Mm-hmm. Now, so you've, you've now had three locations. You've built out three locations. You, you you know, they weren't always necessarily restaurants, or maybe they were. What What is that like, you know, the, the budget building out, dealing with construction? Uh, you know, welcome welcome to the well, city of Montreal. Usually, I do all my own my own designing, my own, I, I subcontract all my workers. And uh, usually, I get it up and running in four months. And people come and tell me, you know, who was, the, who was the designer, who did the work? I say, well, the designer got fired, and the construction guys still aren't paid, but... Usually my motto in business is have no debt. Yeah. When you have no debt, you're going to cross the finish line. And do you, were you very involved in the Loria location, Perry, for the build-out? Yes, I was following Ted's uh, orders. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it came out very nice. It's uh, it's one of a kind. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, now there... I guess when I'm thinking about all the different locations and the plateau and all that, there's there's still the question of people. You still have human resources. You still is it tough to to find people as you grow each location and and it's that much harder to find workers. Where are you finding them? Is it is it difficult? Is it getting harder? Very well, difficult. It's hard to find people, especially servers. because servers don't make as much as they used to years ago. But what I like to do is like I have Perry integrated with some percentages. I'm working now. My chef on Lori is going to buy 20%. You know, I like to have my people self-invested in my in my interest and their interest. And it shows automatically how much they take care of the place a lot more, you know. So that's a big one, especially, you know, if there's a work work uh, worker shortage in Montreal. Uh, you're, you're okay with giving away pieces of your business to your employees? 100%. Yeah, because you stay consistent. Your service is consistent. Mm-hmm. Your food's consistent. And you know what? When you have a happy employee, it becomes a happy environment for everybody. It's, 
it's good vibe, good chemistry, you know? What are you looking for in, in a potential stakeholder? If, uh, if some of your employees are listening, how do you impress Ted to the point where you're, you're on the radar? Me? Yeah. How do you get impressed, Ted? Oh, I get impressed. Well, when I see, when I see a guy like Perry on a Saturday night, always telling me, don't worry about it. And literally, when he says that he means it, I mean, you know, in the Westmount, I have good staff. I must say, my five Greek waiters, which my son's become one of them in the past four or five months, they're very professional. You know, they're, the vibe is good. I would say there wouldn't be a better, better Greek waiter team in Montreal than what I have in Westmount. I mean, these guys are phenomenal. You know. And, w- and one question for Perry you're you're a young entrepreneur how have you have you sacrificed certain things have you sacrificed some personal life and some some freedom being such a such a young lad in this tough business personal life definitely weekends uh dates with my girlfriend a lot of sacrifices but uh so it's worth it when you're it all it all comes down to your goals you have a longer term vision. Yeah, exactly. Not everybody in your in the in the, your youthful twenties and your generation has that longer term vision. Everybody's just living today, but today goes by and then it's tomorrow, and you're still in the same place after twenty four hours. You're not moving forward. Just a bad way to go. No question. So much so much more to learn about the restaurant business, but uh, we'll, we're going to skip to marketing next and some online reputation management. Coming up on the show, so Natalie Rivera on that. She's from Cometa Communications, and we'll uh, have Ted and Perry's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. We're here with uh, Ted and Perry from Petros Taverna. We'll have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, we will come back. Natalie Riviere, contributor from FL and Cometa Communications, to talk about online reputation management. Uh, welcome back, Natalie. Thanks so much, Dan. And Josh, this is something that is so crucial for the restaurant industry. Let's begin by talking about the Google reviews and all of that, because those can be deceiving sometimes. I just saw online one of my favorite chefs in the city. He has a three point... I'm not going to name him because it's... uh, I don't want to put it out there, but he has a 3.8 on Google... The guy just won Iron Chef. I mean, this is crazy. You can you can really have your reputation killed by a couple of bad reviewers. But it's, and it's not just Google. I mean, between the Yelps of the world, the Googles of the world, uh, even, even the online reservation systems where people can review and are actually asked and solicited to review. So, you know, I guess we'll, we'll turn to Natalie. And there's there's so much information out there managing your that reputation online is is really a big ordeal. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's definitely super important, and I guess in this business is how you really get to see that um, more than others. Basically, you can't really erase anything online, and sometimes negative opportunities represent fantastic chances to turn things around. So often, I'm sure you've all heard about it, you'll see in social media sometimes something goes viral because of how someone answered something negative, so negative things often stick. So you can see it as an opportunity to take. Um because you can't delete things, though, you also want to be there so that you can drown them out. And that's the really only way to uh, push down anything negative is to actually add a lot more positive and give it context. The worst thing you can do is ignore it. Then. Absolutely. 
no question about it. Uh, guys, you know, you deal with your with these reviews, I guess. You get them all the time. How do you manage it? Do you actively l- look at it? Have you have you had to deal with some some negative reviews? We've had one negative review and I That's good, only one. <laughs> yes, and I called the customer, I took care of it, and she wasn't willing to comply with me. And I figured this is somebody that probably does this to a lot of restaurants. And you'll have those reviews. As long as you make sure every customer leaves happy, the reviews matter, but the reviews will get the customer into the door. You want to make sure he leaves happy. It's also a question of quantity. You know, you could have, you know, 100 reviews and maybe two are negative. That shouldn't necessarily guide it, but you still need to address them. Yeah, exactly. That gives the context. And people know that we have fake news in our lives we can tell that certain things are going on that aren't so authentic. It's a feeling that you have. Uh, You have to trust that. But usually by diluting these things and encouraging um, the people that you do have great connections with as a restaurant, supporting that and asking for them to go and support you online, you'll often get great results from that. Customer experience. You know, that's CX, that, that online customer experience. And, and you guys are, you know, it's in the store and you're, you're, you're feeding people and it's all about the quality of the product. But yet there's, there's so much out there that, that will drive people to your location. From a customer experience or from kind of seeking out what you would look for online, are there certain areas or aspects or that, that you would kind of either keep your eyes open to or go look for instead of wait to get? Uh, I think you need to do the research and uh, really evaluate critically uh, different people's opinions, want to get a sense for yourself as well. So you'd want to not just stick with one outlet and maybe consult several of them uh, and get a feel for the majority. If I can add, you know, in PR, we, we like to balance online with real life. So if your reputation is being trashed online, take your case to other forms of media as well. You know, maybe counter with a radio campaign or something like that to sort of get a conversation going elsewhere because the Internet can be a bad space filled with a lot of bad vibes and uh, you want to have a holistic approach to this stuff. Yeah, it comes down to relationships and counting your relationships. So even in online marketing, the goal is to convert people towards tools that you actually own and experiences you can actually have with them directly. You want those email addresses, you want the visits, you want the actual time with them, uh, in this case, in restaurant. And so uh, online is a portal, it's a vehicle to help build relationships, but really the magic happens uh, offline usually for everyone. Should you answer all your critics systematically or should you just leave the weird, aggressive ones alone? Um, I think... It depends. Uh, it depends on what platform as well, because sometimes you can actually report these things and it, it won't be as, let's say, permanent as a Google uh, review. Um, but there's usually an opportunity to take. And uh, often these people who are speaking the loudest, if the opportunity is taken and if it goes well, can actually become your biggest advocates and evangelists for you. And so uh, I would, in most cases, uh, address it. And in some cases, you might want to flag it at the same time. If somebody wanted to be proactive with their online reputation, what are some of the, the, the tricks or, th- or the things that, that some entrepreneurs can do to kind of make sure that their, their awareness factor and their conscientiousness and their style gets out there? Yeah, great point. Right now, um, everyone turns to search engines to inform themselves. So search engine optimization is really, really important. What happens when you Google yourself on search engines is social media comes up. 
So what any company could do is uh, through Google, there's a free profile, Google My Business. Uh, if you Google that or google.com slash business, you can fill in what feeds Google Maps. You can fill in what feeds that right side of Google where you see open hours and telephone details, uh, website pictures that you can load. Um, and then what comes up first is social media. If you Google anything, uh, those are the most popular sites. So they show up on top. And so by having a profile on the popular social media websites, it might not be the relevant fit for your audience, but it's a great way to manage your reputation online. So Excellent. even you can consider social media as part of search engine optimization in that way. Thanks very much, Natalie. I know it's it's a big topic that we're kind of shortening, uh, but thanks very much for your insight. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. And as we, uh, as we do each week, uh, and to start this 11th season, uh, we'll turn to our two entrepreneurs in studio and ask each of you guys, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Perry? My advice would be, choose your goals. And once you have chosen your goals, when you go, when you go to bed at night, are you closer to your goals or are you further away? If you're further away, what are you doing to get closer to them the next day? And if you're closer, keep it up. Do you follow that? 100%. Excellent. And Ted, Mr. Mr. Restauranteur, okay, what would so be your one piece of advice? When I spoke about the famous Greek word, if the people that have been to Greece, they've noticed that they're very well received from a stranger, from an old person. They're always very hospitable. So the Greek word, the breakdown is philoxenia. Philo means friend to the stranger, axeno. Now, also, when you're in Greece, there's always a two-tier pricing system. If you're on a cruise and they say the guy's axeno, he's paying more than the local. But besides that, in my world, we like to treat people to a little something when it comes to the restaurant, especially if we're correcting a situation, but mostly just out of the blue. Like, during the course of a night, I'll tell Perry, that guy there, he looks interesting, throw a zucchini chip. You know, just to make him feel good. Next time, it's somebody else's turn. Basically, give to get. That's right. Philoxenia. 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 Well said. Learn something new every day. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Ted Dranis and Perry Calavrusis of Petros Taverna, three locations. Thanks so much for stopping by this evening. Thank you for Our having pleasure. us. Thanks to Natalie Riviere of Cometa as well. And we'll be back here next Monday night at 7, Josh, on Today's Entrepreneur. Don't forget the entire 10-plus seasons of the show is at todaysentrepreneur.org. Lots of profiles there, including our big season-ending show with Andy Nullman at the Ritz. That's on, again, todaysentrepreneur.org. And we'll see you back here next week. Good night.